Hello and welcome to another episode of James Bond and Friends. Uh, this week, James Bond was talking to Felix Leiter and he learned that the average IQ in the United States is 102. That number does increase when the board of MGM go on holiday. <laughs> <laughs> this is becoming more and more like your sort of like stand-up sets, like your trialing gags for like... Yeah. <laughs> By the time No Time to Die comes out, I'll have like 30 minutes. Your material. own episode of just like That's all it. of your intros. <laughs> I just imagine you going on stage with like a glass of whiskey in one hand and a cigarette in another and just <laughs> reeling these off. Like, yes. A cigarette, a cigar, a pipe, smoking them all. Yeah. <laughs> James Bond and Friends open mic night. <laughs> that's the watch along series um which is why we're all gathered here today to wrap up our 24 film epic journey um so i'm joined this week by calvin ben david bill phil and lisa would you like to introduce yourself i'm calvin dyson and i have a youtube channel where i review and discuss all things bond films books games and all the like um and today i'm drinking a vodka and diet coke Hi, I'm Ben Williams. I write for MI6HQ.com and the magazine MI6 Confidential. Um, And uh, I also write a blog, which I haven't promoted this entire series, uh, (gasps) Um, I am drinking a a slightly wet martini now. David Lee here. I run the James Bond dossier. I am the uh, author of Complete Guide to the Drinks of James Bond, and I am drinking an, a bottle of Australia Dam, which is the beer of Barcelona, who unfortunately don't sponsor me, but if they want to sell, send a crate, I'm open to that. <laughs> uh, I'm Bill Koenig. I run a blog called The Spy Command, and I have mostly finished the Sean Connery hairpiece site, although I have gotten a couple of suggestions for a couple of movies to add, but like it's mostly done. It's not going to like drag on the way the Bond 25 timeline has. So mm-hmm. there you go. This is Phil Nobile Jr., editor of Fangoria Magazine. I'm drinking water and I'm here to talk if you guys need anybody to talk to. I'm Dr. Lisa Funnel. I'm the author of The Geographies, Genders, and Geopolitics of James Bond, editor of For His Eyes, Only the Women of James Bond. I'm the host of License to Critique, a podcast exploring gender in the world of James Bond and beyond. And I am drinking uh, a mug of hot green tea, and it's got, got pomegranate and raspberry and strawberry because it's still too hot in Oklahoma and everything hasn't died yet. So my allergies are just like, they're just, they just keep coming back for more so you know there's no time to die but really like allergies please go die (laughs) i'm ready i'm like be cold and everything dies (laughs) and the bugs oh gosh yeah i hate bugs so we have wrapped up 24 films on a watch long over 20 25 sessions because we we broke spectrum too because we love it so much (laughs) so um I think this episode's really going to like to recap our experience and like things we've discovered and learned about ourselves and each other um, during this time. Um, I, I ran a little math, and if you rank all the James Bond films that are out right now, there are six with 23 zeros combinations of that order. So I don't think there's probably two people on the planet that would rank all 24 films the same way. Um, 
that's more than there are grains of sand on Earth. <gasps> so I don't think we, uh, I don't think any of us will share the same list. But this is more to discuss really like how we've changed our opinions and maybe how things maybe haven't changed and why they haven't changed. Um, so I'm going to kick it off, free for all question. Um, did any entry in the series significantly change in your view after having gone through this process? Significantly for me, no. I I, I don't think everything. I, I I've never I've never ranked all, all the Bond films, and I I, I think it would be a, a really really difficult thing to do. Although I, I know um, Phil has done that at least a couple of times, and so Phil doesn't even agree with his own rankings. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but I but. And people have asked me to do it in the past, but I, I've always resisted because because I, I I honestly don't think I, I could do it. Um, so um, everything everything is in, in a kind of virtual rough list for me. But I, I don't think anything's gone up massively in my estimation or, or down massively in my estimation. So it, it, things 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 are basically where I thought they would be. Ooh. Which is very boring, I think. But <laughs> um, not a film, but a character. Um, Anya kind of dropped for me through this process, which I feel bad about because, in the context of the time, the spy who loved me. Uh, in the context of the time, Anya was a big step forward. But like watching it in a twenty-first century context, it's like she's not as good. As I, re, you know, I remembered when I first saw it in the 70s and even like multiple times after that, because part of it was Anya. Yes, she was more independent than other Bond women up to that point in the film series. But like, you know, she kind of like flails um, against Jaws, but doesn't do it very effectively. I mean, she's not very good in terms of hand to hand combat. Um, Future Bond women like were much better, particularly Wei Lin, but even even Jinx, who is like not very well remembered because mostly because of her dialogue. But you know, it's like she's like you know a better fighter. Um, that that was actually probably the biggest thing for me. Just like, sorry, Anya. You, uh, again, it was like a very big development at the time, but like. Not, it hasn't aged that well. I don't think my personal enjoyment of the individual films has necessarily changed. I think I, I appreciate different aspects of them more than I did previously. Uh, the ones that really, the experiences that I feel like I really got a lot out of in terms of understanding why other people get a lot out of films that I might not necessarily like that much were the Thunderball mm -hmm. recording that we did and View to a Kill. Uh, in both of those instances, I kind of went in thinking, I don't really like either of these films very much, but listening mm. to the group talk and everything and being involved in the discussion and all that kind of thing, Came out of it, so I think, oh yeah, actually, okay, I I get it now. <laughs> like I I understand why people would go to Thunderball and and a view to a kill. Uh, those two specifically, 
Um, because sometimes, you know, when you when you watch them by yourself, or even to be honest, when you watch them in like a screening, like um, I've done that with several of the Bond films, and it's nice to kind of hear an audience reaction. It's mm-hmm, I've never mm-hmm. like sat down and watched the films with like-minded people who know them backwards. <laughs> you know, oh. we am pretty sure we could all probably quote most of them uh, line for line, and so that was a nice experience that you know we all know the dialogue and we know the sounds so i don't feel like that was a terribly important part of the process but just hearing people talk about specific scenes and all that kind of stuff and the different takes that we all have on each of the films that's that's what i found most rewarding about the experience yeah i'm gonna steal calvin's answer because uh it's it's, it was my it was my same experience i didn't really feel like you know, I have a letterbox where I keep track of every film that I watch just so I can refer back to it if anybody needs to talk about anything or something like that, um, ask what I've seen and whatnot. But um, I hesitated as to whether I would add these because I didn't feel like I was watching them so much because the sound was off and I was mm-hmm, experiencing mm-hmm. your guys' thoughts, your folks' thoughts about the films. And as Calvin says, it's maybe the first time I've done it with other Bond fans. I've seen them in theaters. I've seen them with you know my wife who like enjoys them, but not, not at the obsessive level. So really, I'm, I showed up repeatedly to hear your folks' thoughts about the films and to have sort of uh, different points of view. So in that regard, it's sort of a similar experience to Calvin's, but a little different in that I ended up softening on Pierce Brosnan a little bit uh, mm. because it, I was mm. able to hear what he meant to, to other folks. And, and they sort of gave me a point of view that I didn't have before. So Tomorrow Never Dies is sort of went up in my estimation, where mm. if you look at that list that... Ben mentioned, I was asked by Thrillist to rank them two years in a row. And it, and it was weird because the second year was revisit your first list and tell, tell us if it changed. Um, and Tomorrow Never Dies is near the bottom for both of those. Um, but I hate, I to, to say what Ben said, I hate ranking. I only did it because they offered me money. I'm trying <laughs> to say what I'm identical, but... <laughs> yeah, uh, they're, they're not... <clears throat> um, I don't think you should be pitting films against each other. It's not sports. But uh, but now that I broke the seal on that, I probably would do it again if someone asked me to uh, for the Bond films. But um, The price is right. If the price is right, <laughs> exactly. Uh, but no, th- this experience has really been about hearing other Bond fans' thoughts in a way that's not just reading them on the internet. These are people. These are personalities. I consider you folks friends at this point. So that was the, really the best part of of revisiting the films on this on this go round, I think to piggyback off of your point, um, I think the downside to all of this was not listening to the soundtrack and hearing the dialogue as we were going oh, through absolutely, it. Absolutely, yeah. And so, like, I really did focus in on the visuals, the imagery, characters, representation, and of course, things that I have either written about or things that I remembered. And I'm I've recently I'm doing another project, had to rewatch it, um, and so watching the films again which I do quite often, but with the music actually was a completely different experience. You know, these last few days that I've been just sort of like going through them. And I've been commenting a lot about how important the music was and how much more enjoyable the movies are because of the soundtracks. And so this has certainly given me an appreciation for what we didn't connect with. And that was the music. Mm. And then in terms of 
I'm terrible when it comes to lists. If people ask me my favorite Bond film, I'm going to give you like four or five because I'm like in no particular order. Sure. Uh, just because it's like, yeah, you don't ask film lovers. You know what I mean? Like you say, to pit things against each other. But I will say that I thoroughly enjoyed um, You Only Live Twice, um, as well as The Spy Who Loved Me for the set design. Like I was gaga over it then and re-watching them now, I'm gaga about it even more. And so I think we spent a lot of time and I think we gave a lot of credit just to the visual world of James Bond. And when you have spaces um, where you can utilize your imagination, right? When you're utilizing layers or or what, it, you know, the inside of a covert ship would look like, there's a lot of creativity and space to create. And so to see what they came up with and these large set designs and to see people interacting with them. And of course, the destruction is like my favorite part, right? Like show us all the beauty and then let's destroy it. I found that incredibly enjoyable, but that was also because all of you found Found that incredibly enjoyable. And so I have a new appreciation for uh, set design and how much I love, you know, maps and models and miniatures. Um, I just, I've had a burgeoning love uh, for, for this. So there's just other things that I've appreciated through our time together that I will carry with me as I do future work. And of course, watching these films again. I think just to echo uh, what most of us have, have already said, which is just that I think, I think Whilst I don't personally have a a ranking of the films, I do kind of have my kind of top three or my my bottom three, so to speak. And there were there were definitely films that I was less looking forward to doing the watch alongs for. Um, that I kind of I, I kind of felt like I wouldn't have that much really to offer that was perhaps positive, but they are really the ones that I got the most sort of uh, surprise out of, so to speak. Um, m much as, as Calvin said, really, that, you know, it, it comes from this group experience of um, of us all, of our, our collective knowledge and our enthusiasm. And, and I think that there are points of view that I wouldn't necessarily have, uh, have held before. Um, and I think particularly, particularly Lisa's insights into into the films in terms of um, gender, race, and geopolitics have um, have helped to kind of um, reaffirm a lot of the things that I felt unsure about being vocal about uh, myself within the community because they were things that I didn't feel uh, particularly comfortable with, but I also felt like I couldn't really air that that well. And um, Lisa's kind of eloquent uh, focusing on those things and discussing them has kind of given me a lot more uh, confidence to kind of really uh, tackle those. But also certain things like, um, I can't think of anything specific here, but I, I, I've remembered a couple of times during the watch-alongs when Calvin has said something and I have just kind of gone, hmm, I didn't, I didn't think of it that way, but that's, yeah, that's really interesting. And so I have had, I have had my um, my mind changed on a few things. I think also, I think everyone brings something along. I think it's great that that, that Bill has a um, a great historical knowledge. Um, so, but as I said, I think everyone is bringing things to this um, these watch-alongs that kind of enrich our our own personal enjoyment of it and our understanding of it. So. Um, 
so I will say that. And, you know, particularly I wasn't looking forward to doing um, The Living Daylights, but I, I, I found that was one of the, the most entertaining for me. So there you go. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, um, <laughs> the, I, I, I was just talking about um, where... Uh, whether I, whether the films had changed for me, I, I just want to echo what everybody has said uh, after me that uh, watching watching the films as, as a group of Bond fans actually w- was very interesting because uh, I did enjoy a Moonraker, for example. I did enjoy A View to a Kill, which um, normally those films just don't do it for for me but you know if you've got people who are really passionate about those films uh you, you're seeing it through a different lens and you do appreciate it, it, it their, their, their ranking isn't going to change for me but uh uh i i do i do see them in a different way so yeah that was that was uh excellent mm. yeah for me it, i think a few things that were kind of maybe I hadn't quite made my mind upon this actually cemented some things. Um, mm. So things calcified a little bit for me doing this. Um, one of them was, I really don't like Diamonds of Forever. Um, <laughs> That's one of the ones I missed. Yeah, it, was, it was always a mere film for me, but then it, yeah. having, after, <clears throat> talking about all the different elements and we were, we were the, and maybe it was the order we did them in. It just, you know, it cemented to me at the bottom of the, like in cement shoes at the bottom of the pool, that movie. <laughs> um, um, just the laziness of the whole thing. Um, mm. the, the other thing that was kind of buzzing around my head for the last few years, but I hadn't really sat down and analyzed it too much, was I, I, I really don't like Guy, Guy Hamilton's work on the franchise very much. <laughs> um, <clears throat> Live and Let Die I really love, but the, the, the other three, even though one of them is Goldfinger, I, I, I don't really rate his directorial work on that. I think he got carried by other departments on that film. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Um, when I started becoming a fan when I was a kid, like who the director was is not one of those things that you think about. Mm-hmm. Um, no, absolutely. Yeah. Often. But the more you see them, you, you're going to look for extra layers to analyze. Right. And um, I think the one that I've taken away from watching them with you guys on this is like who the director is and who, what the director brought has been my takeaway hmm. from going through them this time. Mm. Um, can I say something related to that? Um, I suspect if you like put a gun to my head and like said, Bill rank the Bond films first to bit, first to last, and then compare them to Calvin's, I suspect we would like not agree necessarily on a whole lot. But like listening to Calvin in particular, but also Lisa and James, it, it was like for a, for a long time, I was like kind of concerned like Bond was becoming an old person's franchise. Like I'm an old person, but like, I think it's great that Bond still attracts younger people, at least younger than me. I mean, Calvin specifically is half my age. So, but I think it's great that, you know, Bond can still reach out and do that. So listening to all these watch alongs, like regardless of specific opinions of specific films, Bond still reaches out. So I think that's great. So actually that I feel better about Bond has resolved these watch-alongs from having gone through. I haven't done all the watch-alongs, but I've done most of them. So anyway, just a, a point I wanted to make. I think it's great you think I'm young. <laughs> That's the best takeaway of this podcast um, for me. <laughs> uh, Lisa, you, you were born the year I was married, so. <laughs> You'll always be young. Thank you. I'll take it. 
were there were there any other trends or connections that kind of popped out to anybody in particular as we've gone through these? Yeah, um, I think um, what one of them for me was the Brosnan era, which uh, which I just find completely flat. Um, it it's kind of um, it they they all lack something that Bond really really needs, and uh, I, I can't I can't really put my finger on what that is precisely. And you know, I I, I guess it it was. Uh, Barbara Broccoli and Michael G. Wilson finding their feet as um, producers of the films in in their own right, but it they they they're not um, oh, they're, they're kind of sub Roger Moore films in that they, they they try and do a bit the same kind of thing with some of the humor but they're not ridiculous enough to to um really make it work and uh you know so i give me a give me a roger moore film over a pierce brosnan film any day i think <laughs> and i think it was it, oh go on ben i was just gonna say it's it's a bit like you know the blind men describing the elephant with uh um pierce brosnan isn't it you know it's like they have um they're, they're trying to they're, they're trying to kind of incorporate all of the greatest hits and it becomes yeah, fairly, yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know exactly what it is yeah but uh, I, I and i like pierce brosnan uh, he, he he always comes ac- across as, as a as a really decent guy i like him as bond in, in a way but i just don't like his bond films very much i think that's a really good point and i'm sorry i won't i will let Kelvin come come make oh, his no, point no, no. Ahead. <laughs> but i was just gonna say i i think that's it i like him I like him as a person. I like him as a Bond. I don't really like his Bond films. They tend, they just feel like somebody's got the color palette, you know, like mixed all the paints together and made brown. And, yeah. You know, yeah, it's something like that, yeah. Is it because they didn't fully lean into those elements? They cr- kind of whiffed it? Like I the think, humor, they kind of didn't go the full way. I think know, what it was... The personal stuff that didn't go the whole way, the drama that didn't go yeah, the whole I, way. I, do, do you know, I, I, I think a part of it, it probably is that, because I, I remember when GoldenEye came out and, you know, Michael G. Wilson, I, I, I think it was Michael G. Wilson anyway, he was uh, being interviewed and saying, oh, yeah, because now that they've... Um, it's, it's more serious and they're doing away with all the gadgets and stuff. But you, you see the film, and that's not true at all. It's still got all the gadgets, and uh, so it's 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 just you know, it, and and that they they've got um they've got a habit of doing this again and again and again because it was the same with, with Dalton. That's oh yeah, no gadgets, but then you watch the film and that they are there, and so. Yeah, I, absolutely. I, I think it isn't. It, it, it isn't having the confidence to really do it. They say they're doing yeah. it, but they they don't follow through. Yeah. The the visual image I've got from what you said, David, is like for Dalton, they put him out over the tightrope over Niagara Falls with just like a balance bar, like do you think? And with Brosnan, they had him like strapped in with a safety helmet and a harness, and then you know just in case something went wrong. That's exactly it. I feel like the, those films feel like the energy that they're taking from the previous ones are is that energy of the later films where Roger or Sean are coasting and Pierce hadn't earned the right to coast yet. Well, well, yeah, well David, yeah. you have to realize as a successful movie producer, you have to, uh, you have to like <laughs> do some, <laughs> do some marketing here. And Can so I, maybe throw, an, maybe throw something in it, which is like MGM went in the best of shape and playing it safe. 
was probably a commercial decision. Oh, I, I definitely feel like you can feel the the studio exec influence throughout that entire era. And I think some of the more compromised creative decisions probably came from that. I'm obviously speaking as a massive, Bros- well, a massive three out of four Brosnan fan. <laughs> um, those first three, I, I love each of them in their own specific way. Goldeneye, particular different height for me. Um, and I love Brosnan himself. I, I, I think... These and, and that's you know another reason just to go back sort of like what get, we get out of this um, experience. Yeah, can I, can I just interject there, there, Calvin? Because you, mm. you've just you've just hit the nail on the head, I think. Because what the what the Brosnan films are is corporate. Mm. Mm. Yeah, he, he, he's got a corporate car. He dresses like a banker. <laughs> also, oh in God. the context of the times, remember. Um, they were coming off that six-year hiatus. MGM was owned by a French bank at the time uh, GoldenEye was released. And um, yeah, it, w- it was very much corporate. It, it was, there were a lot of constraints. I mean, the budget went up a lot between GoldenEye and Tomorrow Never Dies. But it, it was just, it was a weird time. But I don't I mean, get I mean, that sense at all. I, I think I'm, I'm sort of like team calvin on this one maybe it's our young blood (laughs) i'm just gonna (laughs) emphasize that we're young yes Um, but like i love the brosnan era i think that what he did was he brought in life and energy his films are being updated to the times action filmmaking was developing and so you need to have more action oriented sequences he is the most deadly james bond and so he's killing a lot more people and i think they upped the ante when it came to the representation of women really dealing with you know, the changing definition of women in society, they're living in a post-feminist moment and really seeing the strengthening of the women of Bond from Bond girls, bringing back villains, women as villains, heck yes, having the first arch villain being a woman. I feel as though they're doing a lot that I really can get behind. And so these are the films that so many people have grown up with. My students grew up with the Brosnan films, and that's the reason why they became fans. So when they go back and they watch some of the older films, they feel a disconnect. So maybe it's also your point of contact uh, with this franchise. But I will defend Pierce Brosnan. I'm not going to defend Die Another Day. But the first three, <laughs> <laughs> I, because what I think they did is they they had the opportunity to utilize technology, and they went overboard. And you know, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. And I well, think that's a lesson learned for James Bond, but I, for all the Brosnan fans out there, I'm, I'm with you. I don't think it's a lesson learned by Eon, just because you can do something <laughs> you shouldn't. Well, right? I think yeah. Spectre's a good example of like lesson not mm-hmm. fully learned. <laughs> well, can I reinforce uh, Lisa's point, just because if you look at the visuals of a Licensed Kill, directed by John Glenn in 89, and um, GoldenEye, directed by Martin Campbell in uh, 95, you know, the camera's moving a lot more. I mean, there's just, there are a lot of visual changes. You, you can tell a lot of time, it's a different era. Mm, yeah. I think I said this in one of our watch-alongs, I can't remember which one, but um, I, I the the leap creatively from License to Kill to GoldenEye is greater than Dr. No to License to Kill. Like, I think oh, it's well, that stark yeah. a difference. Yeah, 100%, Calvin, I completely agree. Um, but one of the things that, I mean, I don't know if I, I can't remember if I mentioned this on podcasts. I'm at that age now where I start to forget things. Um, I'm not like the, the youthful uh, Calvin and Lisa. Um, but, <laughs> but one of the things about the 90s uh, particularly uh, was that it, it was a kind of culturally, certainly in the UK, it was a, it was a kind of a pastiche 
era, we looked back to, to music and we were kind of pastiching the 60s um, music as well with, with Britpop. Um, our politics were, were, were kind of, a, you know, with, with New Labour, was playing into that as well. And I think in some senses uh, what Goldeneye was doing was also kind of playing into that um, that kind of homage. Slash yeah, but I think it was in that way that was homogenized and therefore not, you know, it, it had all the bells and whistles. It had all the, all, it's like listening to Blur's Country House. You know, it's it, it does all the things that it's supposed to do on the tin, but does it really have the soul in it? And I, and I think that although I really like Goldeneye and I think it's one of my, my top bonds, not that I ranked them, obviously. Um, but <laughs> I, I think um, I think it's one of my top that, ones at number five. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you know Sorry, how like Penn. the Avengers movies, like you know, like there are certain there's a certain color palette in the original Avengers movies, and there's a certain tone uh, to them that that makes them a bit kind of hard to distinguish from one another, and a, and a bit kind of homogenous and i think that you know that didn't really change until guardians of the galaxy came out or or thor ragnarok came out like the tonal shift that they could they could do like whilst there whilst you were still in kind of those early stages it kind of felt a little bit like this is the color yeah and and i think that that's what what happened with um tomorrow never dies to to die another day it kind of suffered from that you know Nothing felt distinctive enough. Nothing kind of jumped out. Oh, to your point, Ben, Brosnan can't remember which order he made them in. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. To flip this around, um, moving away mm-hmm. from Brosnan, because, uh, David, your, your kind of comments there about liking Brosnan as a Bond but not connecting with the films, I actually felt that with Connery, this watch-along. I think I've come out of this sort of feeling like, God, maybe You and Live Twice is my favourite of his films, even though I like him an awful lot as Bond. I just don't really get much out of them, and I think Goldfinger has slipped down in my ranking um, if we're if we're doing that and the other ones I've never really rated terribly well apart from You Only Live Twice and I think a comment that Phil made in I think it was the Thunderball watch along about that movie just being kind of like a hangout movie right. and Goldfinger I think is very yeah. similar in that respect you do just have Bond just hangs out doesn't really do all that much just kind of flits in between scenes and I think I realised that I need some kind of agency some more agency um, from him uh oh i was just gonna say you know when you talk about agency and this just reminded me of something that we've talked about on this podcast like one thing that i liked about just to sort of pivot the other way on on calvin's comment i like i like spy aspects in in bond films and i think that that's something that's missing i like it when he is checking out a hotel room um when he you know if he's going to use a stethoscope to open a safe i really like to see those types of elements and when they're not there i feel as though that makes it a lazy bond film because other things are doing the things for him and he's Mm. just sitting there with the playboy and so i think that's something i appreciated about some of the early Connery films 
was still having those elements in. And anytime I see a different Bond film where he's doing those things, I have an appreciation for him still being a spy and not just a typical action hero. And I guess that's something that if we were to shift into the Daniel Craig era um, and moving beyond Casino Royale, because I love Casino Royale and I think it's, it's really solid the way that it is. It is something that I besides humor and lightness and brightness that I'm really missing in the Daniel Craig era where I, I want to see just more spyish spy, stuff. Yeah. Like, don't just be an agent, be a spy. I think tied to that is, is not just a sense of spycraft, but how Bond himself employs that spycraft yeah, or yeah. His, his own, um, his, his mind being applied to it. So, you know, one of the things I do like about uh, Tomorrow Never Dies is that he has that use of, like, he gets given gadgets, but he uses them differently. So we not only see him spying, but we see him applying his mm-hmm. his mind and his intellect and his kind of thinking outside of the box. Um, yeah. I don't think, it's, kind of I don't think it's a coincidence that they go out of the way in the Craig era to call him an assassin over and over again and almost never a spy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's true. I saw, I I was going to just say that uh, the first four Conneries are the most closely tethered to Fleming, and then yeah. you have Lazenby's one film tethered close to Fleming, and then with Roger Moore, it's really only Four Your Eyes Only that's really closely tethered to Fleming, and then after that, not so much. Um, and as was just said, the scripts actually describe Bond as an assassin. It's like the first page of uh, the Spectre script says that well, the, overtly. Yeah, the first time that was brought in was really Zhao at the start of Die Another Day. Yeah, when he calls him a British assassin and not a spy or a secret mm-hmm. agent. That was that was the tipping point, I think, in the franchise. Right, it, because at that point, Bond is closer to the literary Matt Helm, not the movie Matt Helm, because uh, Matt Helm the, in the novels was an assassin. Bill, can I? Do- can I ask you a question? So it's interesting yeah. you, bring, you should bring this up because I feel like there is, and, and this is one of the, the takeaways that I did get from from this whole watch along series, is that there was a tipping point between uh, where Bond is kind of, uh, as a franchise, is leading um, and influencing other films, and then there is a point where it starts to take influence from other films. And I think that's kind of, notable around sort of um spy who loved me era let die. and i wonder whether that's what i say live and let die i would like put it to that point but go ahead so, so my question really is is that do you think it's that when they ran out of fleming material that they started to look around and go what what's being successful right now what what's uh you, you know, know what? instead, of, instead they... of leading and innovating they ran out of Fleming material and they just looked around and took from other people. They still had Fleming material, but I think they ran out of the best Fleming material because the way you phrase that question, Ben, reminds me of Cubby Broccoli on a US TV show. I think it was the Mike Douglas show. And it was either for it was either in the build up to The Man with the Golden Gun or The Spy Who Loved Me. Anyway, he was on the show and he said, we've gone through the best of the Fleming stuff. And so they still had Fleming books at that point. But, you know, they, you know, they, they, they had run out of Dr. No and Goldfinger and From Russia With Love, etc. And so, like, they've got the lesser novels in their view anyway. 
But I, I, I think that's actually the kind of, uh, you know, you could even like take it all the way back to, uh, diamonds are forever because diamonds forever is not considered the best of the Fleming materials. And I remember reading a, uh, exchange of letters between Raymond Chandler and Ian Fleming and Chandler told Fleming that after Casino Royale, he had quote disimproved. That was Chandler's word, every novel thereafter. And that, and that was before from Russia with love when, you know, Fleming recouped and came up with one of his best novels. So I would, I, you know, like I said, I'd take it a step further back and just say they, they, they'd already used the best Fleming material and now they're kind of deciding what to do. It's interesting, isn't it, Bill? Because one of the, one of my favorite, um, Roger movies is, um, Pure Eyes Only where, you know, they, they make, they lean heavily into going back into Fleming. And, um, I think, it, you know, it marks a big standout from some of the, the kind of more bombastic elements of, uh, of, of Bond that we've seen before. <clears throat> The, the 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 curious thing about for your eyes only is that I, I mean basically it it is uh, for your eyes only and Risico and uh, but uh, it it kind of goes full circle because those uh, those stories were uh, originally written for a an abandoned television uh, show of James right. Bond so uh, they, they, it's um, I, I, and I, I just wonder how it would have been if they'd made those uh, th- th- those short stories into um, it, mm. into television. I, I wonder how well they, they would have turned out because we'll when, you, when, when you read them, <laughs> when you when you read them, uh, I, I think I, I think you can see the origins of, of the of the storylines that, that they're very visual to me, right. I remember seeing Four Your Eyes Only the first time in the movie theater, and I I had actually read the two short stories before going into the movie. And so then when Roger Moore says he's a writer researching pirates or whatever it was, it was a line taken strictly from, you know, taken directly from Risico. And it's like, I had to, like, I sat up straighter in my seat in the theater when I heard that. It's like, okay, this is like, this is really serious now. In my mind. Yeah, it's funny how we got onto Fiora's Only because one of the notes I had on this series that we did was um, I always kind of had it in the back of my mind, but I didn't realize just how it's basically on a Majesty's Secret Service 2, in my view, because you've got John Glenn g- getting offered the job who worked on Majesty's. And as David Arnold said, you get offered to work in a Bond film, it might be the only one you do. So you throw the kitchen sink at it, right? And, right. And the pre credits directly yeah. draws upon it. Yeah. So I, there's an all. I, until we watched it again together and I went in thinking about uh, John Glenn's trying to do a sequel to Majesties, I hadn't, I hadn't fully appreciated just how many echoes and callbacks and stuff there is in that movie to mm. Majesties. And the thing that tipped me off was it was Phil when you said you'd scheduled it as a sequel as a, on that film festival right. you did. Yeah, it was the it was the third part. It went from from Russia with Love to On Her Majesty's to uh, For Your Eyes Only. It played great one into the other, but ultimately, I think that For Your Eyes Only is a little too similar in plot to those other two uh, to make a, a compelling triple feature. And I I don't know that I would do that again. It's my biggest it's my biggest regret from this whole uh, series of uh, films. Obviously, I haven't been I wasn't here for Spectre. What a shame. Um, but, <laughs> Both um, parts sorry. of Spectre. I yeah. missed it too. Uh, sorry. Washing, washing my hair. Both of those weeks. 
my my um, my biggest regret was not being able to do uh, the Fioris only um, commentary because it's one of those films that I feel like I really had um, not necessarily anything new to add, but um, I, I had stuff to say about it. Uh, so I wish, I'd, I wish I'd been there for that. Uh, I I wish I'd done the From Russia with Love and uh, The Living Daylights because I, I I really like those films and uh, I I wasn't able to uh, show up for those unfortunately. But uh, next time it, lo- we've got lockdown two pretty much. Uh, <laughs> um, so we should we, we should do them all either in order or reverse order, we but should, maybe what then. We but for Lisa is do do a listen along and just listen <laughs> to the music and the sound effects. And yeah, we can just we can just be on camera emoting silently. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll do it. We'll do it via um, you know, you know uh, whatever the Zoom, and we'll just have it'll be like a reaction video. <laughs> in a way, for uh, eyes only was a from Russia with Love type film put right in the middle of like much more extravagant films yep. because you know obviously moonraker before it was like really extravagant but even uh um octopussy after it was like a lot more extravagant so it's like it's it really kind of stands out kind of something in the middle it's it it's it echoes something from the past it's just it's anyway yeah, I but, think that's but, why it's never really worked for me. Like, Spy Loved Me and Moonraker, I love. And it's like, I'm at a house party and the music's loud and the drinks are flowing. <laughs> and then Fiori's only as the neighbor coming knocking at the door at midnight saying, like, look, this is getting very silly now. Turn down the music. <laughs> you can have your fun, but just have it sensibly. And I think I said something similar to this when we did that ro- watch along for, like, the old farts like me it's like oh we're all excited and then just but like for the younger folks and eh, not so much and but that's the great thing about bond in a general sense it appeals to so many different sensibilities over the over, over the course of almost 60 years in that way it's kind it's pretty unique in that it like has so much appeal across so many different tastes but you know what do i know mm. But that's what kind of why I what I love the most about doing this whole watch along series in the first place the fact that we each come to the films from such a different perspective um and I I think we all appreciate different aspects and I I really do have a a positive that one of the more positive things I'm taking away from this whole experience is appreciating what nostalgia means to people and their enjoyments of uh you know media films whatever it is that they that they like because you know i'm certainly not one of those people that thinks that to you know for a film to be good is an objective thing that we must you know adhere to it's like no nostalgia can factor into your enjoyment of things and i think that that's that's quite nice like certainly that's what i got out of the thunderball and um view to a kill watch alongs as well that i'd never really appreciated properly before yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Calvin. I was, was going to say, like, uh, for, for, I think for the older members of the panel, uh, of which I guess I'm one, um, it, it's it's kind of more, we lean more into those early films and those are nostalgic aspects for us. Uh, whereas for me, you know, the Brosnan era and, and, and subsequently the Craig era have been you know my adulthood um and therefore have a, a slightly different um 
connotation to them. Mm. Oh, no, completely. Like, nostalgia factors into my love of the Brosnan era, like, quite significantly. Those are the ones I grew up with, and those are the new ones. So uh, that's definitely a part of the reason why I love them so much, undoubtedly. Sure. I, don't I, think I was just going to be... say, like, it's really easy to get into a bubble. It's like, you know, it's like you, you talk to like-minded people. And for me, it's, like, really interesting to get all these outside perspectives. So hmm. it's like, it's like, again... Even though I might disagree with someone, like when an opinion is expressed in an entertaining way, it's like, I'm into that. So there you go. I wouldn't begrudge anyone uh, craving some nostalgia this year. Any any Mm -hmm. comfort that we can get and any... Any mm. any uh, excuse we can have to feel normal for two hours, I think, is certainly warranted this year. So, um, mm. I, I I usually am a little more finger waggy about you know just like rooting around in nostalgia and 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 gorging yourself on on eighties uh, VHS vintage or whatever. But uh, you know we'll just we're just taking it where we can get it this year. I think. Mm. I think you raise a really good point about what these watch alongs not just mean to us as, you know, seven individuals uh, coming together once a week to watch them. But the feedback I've had from our listeners is how much they've enjoyed it too. It's been, some of them don't even watch the movie along. They just listen to our commentary, (laughs) which I think is quite interesting. They're so familiar with the movies that they just want to hear what we have to say. And we are living in a very, very uncertain and fearful time. And when you are afraid, and this is just sort of a sentiment that happens, and if you understand political ideologies and stuff like that, you tend to go back, right? You want that nostalgia. You want to go back to a safer time, a safer space. When And sometimes we look back at things with very different lenses, right? We, we look back and say, oh, those good old days, right? And this is, you know, some comfort food for us during this time. And so I think we're able to offer some interesting insights, a little bit of media-based education, um, but also sharing our love um, of these films. It's really been a way to connect with people who might feel very isolated and alone. And it is a way for us to offer them that communal communal experience of, of participating and partaking in this shared you know, pop cultural franchise that we all seem to to know and love. And I think that what we're doing here is, is incredibly important for sort of like the mental health and emotional well-being of a lot of people, including ourselves. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, Lisa, it's also lovely to have that um, additional element of, you know, going onto social media and getting some some feedback on, on, on things that we've discussed or, um, you, you know, so it isn't, Whilst we think of think of it as as maybe the the seven of us sort of sitting around and just discussing these the, these films together, there isn't there is another dimension to it, which is that it does connect to a much a much larger audience, and that that audience does have the ability to to to, to kind of interact with us as well. So that that's another uh, mm-hmm. aspect to it. Not always in a positive fashion, but mostly. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I think I think that's one of the things that sort of sort of surprised me. In a way, I mean, I know it shouldn't surprise me because I've always treated these these sessions as sort of uh, as as Phil mentioned earlier. You know, like a group of friends just kind of watching the movies together. Um, so it is a little bit strange when you you know you go onto social media, you go onto Twitter, and, and suddenly you've got um, people commenting on a conversation that you you know you've had with someone, uh, and you've like in in some way in my mind it's it's been that we've just sit, been sitting in a pub um so it's a bit strange when someone goes sure. hey that thing that you said 
Uh, but you know, we've all had that happen in a pub. Some random <laughs> walk over and <laughs> horn in on your conversation. <laughs> and have some thoughts. <laughs> no, but it's not. But it. But actually, you know, uh, on the on the whole, it's been a it's been a positive thing. It's been a surprising thing. I don't know why mentally I can't get my head around the fact that people actually do listen to this podcast. <laughs> um, it's a scary number of people. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I, I think it's been uh, for, for for me. It still feels very um, small and intimate and personal because I feel like I'm just talking to to my friends. Um, but it's always it's always good to remember that there, you know people do listen to us. Well, that's the golden rule of broadcasting and radio, isn't it? Is talk to the audience as a single person, and um, I think that's why maybe people have felt included because you know we're a small group and we come at it from an angle of we love this stuff and mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. they feel part of it, even if they're not partaking directly. I think everyone is a part of it. I mean, you know, in in the sense of mm-hmm. why are we doing this if it's not for the enjoyment of, you know, not for that kind of um, partaking of it? Because in a sense, whilst we are talking, we're just doing a commentary track, um, we are also actually, you know, we're doing it so that somebody will sit down and they will put that DVD into their player or, or whatever it might be. But it might be if they're a bit more modern, they've probably got some, some sort of streaming services or something, um, you know, um, or if they're like, you know, me and Bill are probably kind of finding, you know, just the VHS copy somewhere. <laughs> or laser I have VHS. I'm not yeah. VHS too. I, I just don't have a DVD, a DVD player that works. We, we, should, we, should have put, we should have put the markers in so people could pause it so they can, you know, change the laser disc. <laughs> I only watch the films on my phone when I'm commuting, and that's that's it. That's how I experience yeah, you these things. Have that thing plugged into your brain now, Calvin. That just like, <laughs> your, your, your cerebral cortex immediately. Yeah, I'd love that. That would be uh, that would be great. Where, where, where can I uh, get one? Uh, do they do it on Amazon yet? It's a bit like a bit like uh, Matrix, that film that came out twenty years ago. Um, where yeah. just, you know, I know them. I you know. I know the man with the golden gun. <laughs> I just plug you in. Uh, apart from um, several dubious flooring choices, um, <laughs> are, there, are there any other eccentricities or anomalies through the series that we've picked up on? For oh, me, the color, yeah, the, color yeah. of the, the color of the phones fascinates me. Yeah. Mm. The, the, the phones, are, especially the red ones, but also... Uh, I, I, I've been aware of them before, but not to the extent uh, that Lisa made me aware of them. The maps. <laughs> yeah! Maps <laughs> and globes! Yeah. Love them. I, I, I love the maps as well. Yeah, I, I, I'm, now, I'm now a Bond map fan. Yay! Um, <laughs> the, uh, the prominence of the color purple in Honor Majesty's Secret Service. Mm. Sorry, with color... Um, the the use of the color yellow on technology, just for yes. like all the underwater technology. Obviously, it shows up better on screen, but like all the tech is yellow, and like I was just like yellow, yellow, yellow. What does this mean? I don't know what it means. It shows up, I guess. I think I think what's what's interesting is is like um, how how a lot of the production design uh, from 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 the early films, particularly. Has kind of influenced our our understanding of what 
you know, modern and sophisticated is in today's kind of uh, real world architecture. Um, and I think you can you can see uh, the influence of, of it, not just in 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 pop culture, in, in terms of like like films and the way that they've borrowed from from the Bond series. But but in actual real world architecture, you can see kind of the influence of Ken Adam and in terms of um, you know, colors and textures and materials that have been used. And it's, it, it's sort of strange how, you know, a, a, a fancified version or, or, or a slightly surrealistic version of, of the world starts to have its influence on, on real yeah, world. Cause, uh, cause who doesn't want to live in a, in a Bond villain lair? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. But, but it's interesting uh, David, because I'm sure that there are architects that were growing up in the 1960s and 1970s who were who were watching these films. Yeah, absolutely. And influ- even if it's a subconscious influence, it, it's almost certainly there. You're absolutely right. Yeah. And then it informs them, and then it and then it comes out in their in their work, and and you get a real world architecture. And I think well, that that's quite well, we, we, should, we should do a podcast on on the the architecture and set design. I would, be, I would, hundred percent be there for that. Uh, you'd have to, you'd have to have a, a judicious use of the mute button from James for me, just to mute me out when I kept going <laughs> on too long. Well, it's funny you should bring this up because during the watch along, I redecorated my home office and I took everything from Doctor No's prison, Minkline prison, for the materials to the, you know, the, the style of the furniture and everything, and. I wouldn't have done that had we not done these watch alongs. Because <laughs> we talked about it so much, I'm like, I'm going to do that. So I, do that. <laughs> I don't have the like the cool glass yet, but yeah. One thing that just to add to architecture and design, I think about moats and monorails a lot, and maybe I'll write a paper about moats and monorails in in you know the villains' layers. But having sort of like a water feature, like in your underground layer that has piranhas, why not? Or maybe a snake, or maybe you know a tank with a with a shark, something like that, where you can just dump in people that you want to kill off. And that's what it, that's what I have. That's what I'm missing. That's what I'm missing. <laughs> <laughs> Lisa, there's some good, good reference material in uh, three of the MI6 confidential magazines uh, on monorails, if you are. Love monorails. <laughs> if, you're, if you're keen. Well, speaking of architecture, uh, I said this is a joke, but I ended up doing a whole page about it. It was Sean Connery's hair, or lack thereof. <laughs> and like the more I got into it, it's, like, it's really amazing. Like You can track his career by his entire... How his look, including hair pieces or no hair pieces, and like where where it really struck me, James sent me a tweet, re, or forwarded me a tweet of somebody had some behind the scenes shots of Never Say Never Again where he like didn't have his hair piece on, but he's clean shaven. It's like it looks off. It, it looks weird. Put it that way, because he evolved. He looks twenty from, years older. Yeah, and he evolves from this look of you know from Bond. To where it's like, okay, he's bald with either, it depends whether it's a mustache or goatee or beard, depending on the film. But like where, where he's like bald and clean shaven, that's just wrong. That's just terrible. <laughs> it, it's just wrong. And, and I where feel it really like he rock when he gets a haircut. Well, no. where, where, it struck, where it really strikes me is actually on that Indiana Jones movie he did, where he was like, he was not yet 60. 
but he was only 12 years older than Harrison Ford. But like, so they're like doing their best to make him look older. So it's like, of course, no hairpiece, but it's like, if he was coloring what hair was left, they let it go gray. And then like, they let his beard go totally white. And it's like, they're trying to make him look as old as they can. And it's just, and then like, from that point onward, it's like, why did they even bother to have him wear a hairpiece? Because he's like the most, one of the most fa- uh, famous bald actors, and he's one of the biggest stars of the 20th century. Why have him have hairpiece at all? But they did, and uh, it, it's 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 very odd. And and on that page I did, like I I put a lot of attention to his Bond films, including Never Say Never Again. But uh, yeah, it's like you can track his career the whole that whole thing with his hair. Yeah, I think uh, you know it's not it's maybe not my biggest takeaway from uh, from from these the, these watch alongs, but it is it is an interesting thing to see um, Connery as as a cultural icon uh, and the you know as Bond and Bond mania um, and to sort of chart the the direction that his kind of career took, but also to see him f- sort of physically change o- over the years as well. It's quite interesting because, well, you know, one of the things is the bond doesn't age and doesn't get older. You know, that's why we've had this kind of, you know, reincarnations of him in, in various forms or another. So it's interesting to sort of see, uh, you know, Sean Connery in his prime as, as the, the quintessential kind of James Bond, um, archetype um, and Bond doesn't age but 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 obviously Connery has done so that's that's quite an interesting kind of uh, thing to look at. Can I add to that because I think that it also draws attention to these ideals of masculinity that are out there and how hair is for men a signifier of youthfulness of uh, um, sexual virility and so forth and I think that our media puts a lot of pressure on men as well as women. I mean, I could talk about women until we're blue in the face, but we don't always talk about the pressure that comes through our media when it comes to heroic men um, about how they should look and how they should act. Um, And not everybody um, has a full head of hair and that's like men and women included. And so I think it's interesting the the use of hair pieces rather than, you know, taking the Jason Statham route, right? And and just sort of buzzing it off, shaving it off, and and um, having that become a signifier of, of sexuality. I know plenty of people who are very interested and find Jason Statham incredibly desirable. And so I think we're seeing sort of cultural shifts now that were not necessarily there at the time. Yeah, so there's I just a indication that, that of a podcast, um, "How Did This Get Made," where they uh, Jason Statham was uh, playing a, an LA cop. And but retained his, um, you know, his British accent. So it was just all this going, yeah, I'll go down to In and Out and <laughs> got me a taco. Well, it just seemed like uh, Connery was certainly not the guy wanting the hairpiece on Bond. He was taking it off every chance he could get. Uh, if if you look at uh, The Hill in 1965, you know he's mm-hmm. he's super comfortable with himself, and and I think that maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's one of those guys that helps shift that bar that Lisa's talking about to make it more yeah. acceptable to not have to like stick something on the well, top of your head. In wrong is right. He actually took his hairpiece off and threw it away. Right. Do, do, you, know, I, do you know? Do you know? Though 
when in in the early 80s uh when they were talking about making never say never again and there was a question about whether he was going to wear a hairpiece in it or not mm. and uh uh i don't remember if it was an interview with him or with somebody else um, or with the hairpiece yeah or with the hairpiece <laughs> <laughs> are you coming back for are you coming back for his next movie yeah. i don't know but yeah. there, there um, were there was a there was a there was a question about whether he was going to do it. Um, yeah, uh, it definitely came up. I remember that yeah. because because I didn't realize how he was going to look in Never Say Never Again until I think it was Time Magazine had a story about both him and Roger Moore doing dual James Bond films, and I remember seeing it was the first time I saw him with his hairpiece for that movie, Never Say Never Again, which I thought was terrible, but. And I still think it's terrible. But you need to save those stories for the watch along, Bill. It's coming. It's 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 on the page. It's on the Sean Connery <laughs> hairpiece page. It's all there. <laughs> One of the other things that popped out to me when we were doing this series was um how much of the things that we like or have been successful were deliberate decisions. Um and how much of it was just bloody luck. Mm-hmm. And I think the one that popped out to me the most was Casino Royale was there was a lot going on there. I mean, they basically threw the breaker switch and rebooted a lot of stuff. I'm I'm not sure how much of it was intentional. Yeah, I I I, I agree with that completely. One of the things about Casino Royale in watching it among all all the other films is that what a bloody good film it is. It's uh, mm-hmm. uh, it yeah. is significantly better than almost all. The Bond films, I think, it, pro- probably, probably, I'd be right in saying it is absolutely the best Bond film. It's, it's just yeah. uh, um, fa- fantastic, and uh, it's and w- watching some of the other Bond, f- I, I don't remember w- what we followed that one up, up with, but um, it was, uh, you know, a bit of a uh, a loss of energy after that because it, it's mm. uh, it, it's such a such a good film. They, they really really knocked it out of the park with that, yeah. And well, uh, also with with Doctor No, it was like they're like lucky. It wasn't a disaster because um, you know they had they had the uh, company Film Finances who did the completion bonds, and their you know the money they supplied was only supposed to be like. You know, absolutely emergency, and Harry Saltzman. That's eh, just another pot of money. And then they got wind of this, and they took over the film in post production. And there were like all these problems. Jack Lord was, you know, like two days late, and all this, uh, all this stuff. And it was like the weather wasn't the best, so there were like there were like all these problems. Now, like the From Russia with Love problems get written up a lot in Bond histories, but a lot of the Doctor No problems don't get written up. And oh, and Terrence Young had like half or two thirds of his salary impounded by film finances. Like, until we get our money back, you're not going to get paid. And he was like pissed off and like wrote all these nasty letters. And all of this has come out like decades later. But like, you know, yeah, it was like that was a very troubled production. They're like, you know, they're lucky they, you know, turned out as well as that, as well as it did. Well, the thing I kind of wanted to flag up was um, if they knew what they were doing to create Casino Royale, we would have had three Casino Royales afterwards. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, the thing about Casino Royale is it was a brilliant movie, but then 
it was like it, it was a lost opportunity because the uh, they definitely didn't know what they were doing to make things so right with that which is why they rushed into production with quantum of solace because they they thought they still had whatever it was even though they didn't quite know what it was and they you know e- e- even though i like quantum of solace it, it's a long way short of casino royale and um it's clear that they they didn't capture it at all and you know and, 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 sony wanted, <clears throat> and sony wanted to rush it even more because they like it and actually announce oh yeah uh, next film is going to be out in May of 2008, like the first weekend of May, and then yeah, it's like, and it, it, it's also it's also the the, the start of the auteur, auteur directors because they they signed up. Uh, I can't remember the, who who it Robert, was. Uh, Roger Mitchell, yes, Mi- Mitchell, uh, something yeah, like that. Who uh, who who was on it for weeks, I think, before he quit um, because then with no. With no script or anything like that, he, he just uh, basically shit himself, and uh, I, uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't blame him. I, I would have too. Um, but uh, you know, it, it, it was clear that they were they were going after a, a different type of director, and uh, because, and and it, which is weird because it's not like it's not like. Um, um, oh God, I can't remember. Uh, uh, Campbell is, is a is an auteur director. He's kind of an action movie director. So uh, I don't really know why they they thought it was a good idea going in that direction to replicate Casino Royale. And that's probably one reason why it wasn't successful. I mean, as you were talking and you're like, you know, they, they didn't sort of still have the magic in the bottle. They didn't have Martin Campbell. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He to me is the bond maker, the king maker. <laughs> he just seems to have a way of introducing a new era of bond and he just sort of gets it. Um, and I think that without him, I think you're trying to take all the elements. You're, you've taken away some of the key elements, including Eva Green, uh, taking away some core elements and then trying to simply replicate it because it was popular. And yeah, I, I, I don't think it really, I don't think it fully worked, but I actually do like Quantum of Solace. So I think that there's, there's, there's value there as well. You, you catch lightning in a bottle and then the lightning exits the bottle. And it's like, oh, we had lightning in a bottle. How do we like yeah. replicate this? Or, or the bottle shatters at least. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it feels like there's an observer effect happening with with the later films where they're like they they latched onto what people found refreshing about Casino Royale and then just you know tried to gorge us on those things instead of steering it back to uh, familiar but new territory. I think, and and if you. If you had hired some po-faced, serious artist director for Casino Royale, you would get something closer to Quantum of Solace. Yeah. Mark Campbell had a sense of how to keep it light and keep it moving and keep it uh, like an entertainment. But moving, but moving it forward, I always feel as though like all of the Craig era is a very, besides Casino Royale, which was looking forward, the rest of them are very backward looking. Like we need to just yeah. reintroduce everything. And I understand what happened in the first three films, but then you have Spectre and that's just so far looking back where I'm like, can't we just turn forward and create something like just take a path forward rather than just well, well, so with retrospective. Cas- I'm sorry, with Casino Royale, okay, this is story how James became Bond. Okay, great. It's like, okay, he's Bond at the end of the film. Great. Get James Bond theme at the end titles. Great. But it's like, oh, he's not James Bond yet. No, we we got to like take it back and like have another arc. Now he's James Bond at the end with the, the, um, cause they put the uh, gun barrel at the end. So now he's James Bond. But then it's like, okay, so then at the start of Skyfall, well, he's James Bond at the start of Sky, Skyfall. 
oh, but now he's not because, oh, Money Penny shot him. And now he's like, oh. Yeah, and, no, no, I mean, he, he was James Bond. <laughs> yeah, he, he, like he doesn't have his mojo. He has his mojo. Oh, he didn't have his mojo yet. Okay, finally at the end of Skyfall, he's got his mojo again. Yeah, that's such a good point, Bill, in terms of like relating it to the Austin Powers thing. Because it, it was a, I've lost my mojo kind of movie, wasn't it? And, um, you know, to be three three movies in and have him like, you know, you didn't get, you didn't get that kind of question raised uh, around Roger Moore until Fewer Eyes Only. And suddenly, three movies in, we've got a, is Bond relevant um, kind of film? Um, which, you know, I, I, you know and, and it, did, it did kind of capture, you know, the proverbial lightning in the bottle, so to speak, in, in, a, in, a, in a weird way that, like, almost... Uh, Casino Royale did uh, you know Casino Royale was just a good movie whereas I think uh, Skyfall just kind of managed to coast a, like ride the wave of the zeitgeist um, but I, I also do think and it's interesting that um, you, you, to, to, to Lisa's point in a way um, that Bond films are either they're either directional or, or, or they're or they're backward looking and um, I like Bond films the most when they're kind of doing something innovative and and directional rather than kind of trying to, oh, look, here's a DB5 in a lockup, that kind of thing. Mm. I, I think to uh, to what Bill was saying about kind of like the whole character arc thing, I think that's kind of key. I think if you look at, you know, if you ask people to put objective hat on what do you think is the the best bond film i think casino royale and probably majesty's secret service would come out on top mm-hmm. in most people's yeah. rankings and with majesty's as well you have like most bond films it's like he starts the film you know from Russia with love he starts the film romancing a lady on a boat he ends the film romancing a lady on a boat there's no change really it's not a whereas in majesty's secret except service casino royale what was that except for the lady Except for the lady, yeah. <laughs> Whereas in Majesties and Casino Royale, you actually have him go on a character arc, a journey, and all this kind of stuff, which which immediately makes for a more satisfying narrative experience. Now, you can't do that 24 times, because it's no. just so... There are going to be times when that doesn't work, and I think the Daniel Craig era has tried to do that in oh. each of its installments, and it's failed as a result of that. Well, you you can't have light without dark, right? You you've got to have some kind of contrast. So, to yeah. I think the, I think that my problem with when we've done these and look back at them is my issue with the Craig era is because of the success of Casino Royale, they latched onto this. Well, Bond's got an emotional journey, so we're going to have Bond mm. on an emotional journey in every film. Well, mm-hmm. the problem is if you do it every time, loses its impact. Yep. And yeah. going back to what you said, Calvin, is do you think? The appreciation of Bond's emotional journey in Casino Majesties is maybe why License to Kill has had a bit of a renaissance. Mm. Completely. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Whether people consciously acknowledge it or not, because the amount of times I see, you know, posts about it, like, why can't Bond just go on a regular mission again? Why does he have to be involved, you know, emotionally? And it's like, well, because when that's done well, it, it really is gold dust. It's it's a fantastic thing if you can be invested in a character's sort of emotional uh, story, a character journey, whatever you want to call it. The thing is that you can't do it all the time and have it be successful. The elements just have to align naturally. And in a few instances, that really has happened in the Bond series. Is, is, Connery, the, is Connery the outlier then? That he, he doesn't have an emotional journey movie? 
Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Ha- I, have, having just watched prior to uh, this recording, watched the uh, incredible James Bond TV special and tweeting out uh, lines. It's like, yeah, he didn't have emotional journey. He's like, he's the, he's the person every man wants to be and every woman wants to have. And that's like, that's it. It's interesting. Mm. Movie after movie. That from Russia with Love is his kind of uh, the film that most people kind of go to is the is the one that they say, "Oh, that's my favorite." You know, uh, even if they don't uh, mean it. Um, I think it's because you do see uh, a vulnerability uh, with him in that. In Doctor No, he's 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 fairly, um, you know, the, the the accusation of being a, a, a you know a kind of a plodding policeman. Uh, is is relatively accurate, really, um, in that. Um, and and his subsequent films, he, as Calvin mentioned earlier, he kind of just kind of strolls through. But at least in From Russia with Love, you, you know there is emotion, there is a vulnerability to him. He doesn't know exactly what he's doing. So I think that's probably his closest, the closest that we get to a kind of a, an emotional journey for him. Mm. And I was about to say with License Kill, it's like they try it, but they chicken out. It's like they they do it at times, but then they have Winking Fish. They have, mm. you know, um, Wayne Newton. You have you know, like this weird stuff. It's like they want to do it, but they can't really commit totally to that pattern. Mm. Well, I think you needed someone more, oh God, uh, emotionally nuanced maybe behind the camera to make it work because at its core, it is like, oh, okay, <laughs> wow. my, my friend got, you know, my friend and his wife have been, you know, killed and maimed. I must go and avenge them and all that kind of stuff. Whereas I think Majesties and Casino Royale both have more kind of, I, I don't know, I feel like there are more people behind the camera and kind of get what they're trying to is it convey. Because we're, we're what, just what? So- soppy romantic bastards. Well, I was about to say, also, I think you need a better, uh, I hate to say this, a better writer than Michael G. Wilson, who was the lead writer. You know, mm. How can you say that? I don't know. Uh, never mind, Michael. I, just I, just, I, just I, go away, Michael. He stopped calling in. So, you know. <laughs> well, he, he's, he's here with me. So he was just, he, was, he heard me. It's going. I, I generally tend to agree with you, Bill. But um, in, this, in this instance, I think both For Your Eyes Only is one of my favorite um, Bond scripts. Um, and I think um, what he was attempting to do with the kind of the the Yimbo like um, revenge story for License to Kill was was also really good. I think he's actually one of the writers that really understands Bond, but also understands Fleming. And I and I really think Michael G. Wilson has been not just as a producer, but as a writer for the series, has been been a a, a great asset uh, uh, for, for me for me he's been a bit hit and miss i've got to say because uh i i agree that uh, for your eyes only i i think um they did a great job on uh interweaving the the, the story the short stories to, to to create the film i i, I think uh that that is really something but uh he he also I uh, was involved in writing uh, a number of my least favorite films. So, yeah. well, and I was also going to say with License to Kill, he's the primary writer because he and Maybaum like plotted it, and there then there was the writer strike, and so in terms of actual scripting, it was pretty much Michael G. Wilson because, like in the teaser trailer, it says screenplay by Michael G. Wilson, 
And then like in those days, Variety had a, um, the weekly Variety had a digest of movies in production. And so like for License to Kill, it just said screenplay Michael G. Wilson. Now, clearly at some point, Maybaum must have filed a uh, grievance with the Writers Guild. And so that's how he gets a, a, shares the credit with Wilson. But like in terms of the actual writing of the film, it's mostly a Michael G. Wilson. That's the one film that's different from all the other ones he worked on. I, but I think it's a good. I think it's a good film. I think it. I think what it lacked was production value, and maybe as Calvin said earlier, you, you know, uh, a, a, a better director. And that's no no offense to to John Glenn, but like, well, when you say better director, I mean he, this was his fifth in a row. I mean, yeah, so you could not, say fresh ideas, maybe. No, you know, it's not even better director. Not even that, James. I, I, I think you know John Glenn's a John Glenn was particularly good at doing a a you know a particular kind of film. Mm. Uh, maybe that this wasn't really uh, within his. I, his to be honest, I, I find his direction a bit clunky. Yeah, yeah I, I think you know when you were looking at the you know and, and admittedly this is a this is a time when a lot of things are changing cinematically as we've 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 talked about before, um, you know, and, and particularly in in terms of what was being released at at the time as contemporary kind of films. I just I just feel and and we've said it before that it that it was a very much a kind of a hallmark style made for television uh, type of direction when that script really required something a bit more kind of polished and nuanced and maybe a bit more directional and interesting. Hmm. Can we talk about voting? (laughs) Well, I'm voting Democrat, so. (laughs) (laughs) The voting that we put up every week um, (laughs) fascinated me. It was, it did not go the way I thought it would go most of the time. Hmm. Um, you only live twice was not liked by anybody who voted, really. I don't think. Oh. Which is still it. Um, and all that glistens isn't Goldfinger. Mm. Right? That was certainly not one that. That was that's genuinely, uh, yeah, James. I think that was that was the big standout for me within the whole voting uh, process. <clears throat> I don't know whether it was a conscious decision to try to get Goldfinger to be one of the last ones that we did or whether it was just genuinely that people didn't want to well pe- to people it. were assuming that we would do them all right i mean you know yeah because if bond fandom says anything it's like uncompleted projects um <laughs> is, your, is your crowd uh fairly progressive or is it split or is it i i, I think we've shared a few people that would be considered capital c conservative over recent years right because you have to wonder if there if there's a single issue voter situation happening in some of it. And, you know, at this point, to 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 a 21st century audience, you only live twice in Goldfinger are two of the bigger sort of problematic, well, let's mm-hmm. say non woke entries, right? That that people mm-hmm. know about, that casual well, drive bys know about. Goldfinger is the one where he turns a lesbian, and you only live twice is the one where he's in yellow face. I don't think it was that. I think that. Most of our audiences, because we've been doing, we've been an entity for twenty years. I think that they are the most, two of the most well-trodden Just movies. Tired of hearing about them, and people are tired of hearing our views on them. Everybody's views is probably right. like. Want to hear our views on any of them? But, but the, well, yeah, that's so, um, good. Good move putting out a magazine about Goldfinger then. 
Oh, I know, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll buy it. Available speaking now. Of, speaking <laughs> of unfinished projects, that was one that was supposed to follow the, for the anniversary. Um, but strangely, I think most people's opinion on Goldfinger has probably changed in the last 10 years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw that uh, I, Brian Fuller, who's the creator of the Hannibal TV series, kind of um, wandered into a, a thread that I had talking about Bond, and he dropped his four favorites, and they were kind of pretty safe choices, pretty basic choices. Goldfinger was yeah. one, and uh, Spy Who Loved Me was another. <laughs> it's like basic Bond. That's now an insult. To, uh, <laughs> yeah. like... I think that once you once you've watched these things in enough cycles in your life, and, and you've and you've moved to a different age demographic, the 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 canon shifts for you. And and uh, yes. you know, for a more casual fan, Goldfinger is still some kind of standard. But I think maybe your crowd has moved past Goldfinger somewhat. And I'm almost to the point where I'm kind of getting back into Goldfinger in terms of recognizing <laughs> it not as a not as a gold standard, not as not as the best one, but but a hangout movie on the level of Thunderbolt. Yes, Kelvin was saying. That's it. Last year, one of the one of the first podcasts that we we recorded, and we were talking about Goldfinger and how many times uh, we could face watching it again. And uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah, it's I don't know, may, maybe Goldfinger is about to have a, a renaissance. Well, what's what's funny is I've got on my desk right now the new book. Which is huge, actually. I thought it would be the small thing, but it's um, it's like fourteen inches by ten inches, and it's one hundred and fifty-two pages. Sorry, no, one hundred and eighty-two pages of just the filming of the Alpine car sequence. Mm. <laughs> which is I, wow. Mm. I think uh, what you said earlier, James, just about a lack of enthusiasm. I feel like that's what I felt like. I mean, look, like Doctor No, we did as a watch along, like before there was a vote. Um, I think people, you know, before like it was do- a watch along series. We just thought we'd do yeah. a Doctor No episode. <laughs> yeah, and I Oops. think diamonds, diamonds are forever. Who doesn't love to hear people sort of, you know, have a, you know, a bit of a trash on a on a on a film that is not terribly well regarded? And from Russia with Love, I think is the new Goldfinger. I think that that is the new sort of Connery number one for a lot. I- I, I I think the tail has wagged the dog on from Russia with Love. I think the official dumb has pushed mm. from Russia with Love out there as the best Connery because it has, as you've mentioned, echoes of a personal journey for Bond. And I think Eon mm. has pushed from Russia with Love as now the best Connery. Oh, interesting. Um, because it, it fits in their narrative better. Mm. Mm. They love telling the story about the screen tests and how it's always, <laughs> always that scene. Mm. Yeah. They do embrace Sorry, Cam, to cut you off. No, 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 because I, I I think it's telling that three of the last ones we came to were Goldfinger, Thunderball, and You Only Live Twice, when, you know, I feel like certainly the Pierce Brosnan ones we got through quite early on, and Timothy Dalton too, in the run, which oh, yeah. I was surprised at for across the board for those. Um, so I don't know what that says about the demographic of the people voting for these things, or if people just generally want to hear thoughts on those more than some of the early Connery ones, which have already been, you know, sort of analysed and looked at in great detail for, for decades. It, it, it wasn't a pure voting bias, though. It, it was um, also... We were nominating the, the films, so, so right, that, would have, that, would have, um, that would have affected the, the, um, the order of to a certain degree, but... Uh... Oh, uh, absolutely, David, yeah. I mean, you know, if this had just been pure pure voting, it would, it would have been a, 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 a probably a different outcome, uh, I would have imagined. But, um, 
yeah, I think I think that that did influence it. But then I think also you've got to remember that you know we were sl- maybe slightly unprepared or uh, week on week slightly. for what we, what we were going to uh, nominate. I, I think um, you, you know we might have had something in our in our heads of what we wanted to nominate, and then someone else might have nominated it. So we kind of like randomly went, oh, well, I guess this then. Um, so no, it wasn't. There, there was one, I, and I, I just couldn't think of one to to. Uh... You know, and it was like it was yeah. very early on. It was like well, there were, must have been twenty films, and I couldn't, I couldn't think of one <laughs> yeah. to nominate. And I, and I think that's you know that that was the kind of the hallmark of, of of the voting system to begin with. We kind of went, well, we've got all of these possible ones that we could vote for, and then as we went went along, we were kind of like, well, we don't want to don't want to split the vote. And then when it got down to the to the wire, it was kind of like, what's left now? So you know. <laughs> Uh, I, I don't think it was, I think it was quite an organic process, put it that way. Yeah, but I also think it was a very different question to ask, which is normally it's like, which is your favorite out of this list? This was like, which do you want to hear about? Mm-hmm. Right. right? Which is a, a very different angle on it mm. than what do you think's the best? Mm. And I can tell you from like having the magazine for God knows how many years, so 12 years. Um, you know, the the vast majority of our readers are subscribers, but there's still people out there who like dip in and out of like single issues. Right. I can tell you this. You stick Brosnan on the cover, it doesn't sell very well. Hmm. Which is odd. Which is odd. Hmm. But we but we covered his films early in this list. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So hmm. I don't know if it's yeah. people just wanting us to shit on his films and hear about it. Or if it was hmm. like we have this weird split of age groups where it's like <clears throat> And podcasts are free. That podcasts are free, that's mm-hmm. right. Although people do ask for their money back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but my, my, my takeaway was I, I, I genuinely couldn't guess what people were going to go for. Mm. That's what made week it fun. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I liked the unexpected. I liked the fact that we were, you know, there's a little competition of who gets to do the roar. And I thought that that was just a fun aspect. And people got into it. Like, who do you, what do you want to hear about? We'll give you four options. And they're not typically the four options that you would think, right? We would yeah. give you a random coupling of films and, and make your pick. And I, I kind of like that aspect. But I also was a little surprised with some of the, the results and the fact that you know, the, the Connery films just were there to the end. And I think that's, that, that shows that there is a shift in terms of what our listeners want to hear us talk about. Do you think it would have been different to have done them in order? Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, I, in, in fact, I, I think at some point we should do them again in order. However, well, the, way the, the delays are going, I think we'll have plenty of time. But can I say <laughs> this? I think that... I always do these studies in order, or I believe in the chronology when I teach it, when I study it, watching them out of order allowed for, at least for me to have different types of analyses than I would if I just watched them in order. Like I was thinking outside of my own box and my own like spectatorial position. So I think there was a lot of interesting things. If you, if, if, you know, um, our listeners were listening to them week to week, they could see the way that we were just re-engaging or engaging with these texts in different ways because we were taking our previous experiences out of order and, and talking about different elements. So I, sure, let's do them in order. But I think that there was, at least for me, productive value in changing the way that I watched mm-hmm. them. Absolutely. And there were different connections I could make. Oh. And I, lo- I love the new thinking about Bond. Okay, yeah, okay. Now, so now you said that, Lisa, I, I propose watching them in reverse order. 
<laughs> oh gosh, that means we start with Spectre now. Ben, Benjamin Button Bond. Do you? <laughs> I'm sure you guys get asked, uh, which you know, from like new fans or, or or people that are dabbling. Like, how should I? What should I watch them in? And and you know, obviously, you should watch them in order. But it, there's always so many opportunities to recommend like a weird curation to people. Um, hmm. Like I love I love telling people watch each guy's first one. You know, mm, right. that's a nice mix. And um, there's, I uh, COVID thwarted this, but I was supposed to present at Draft House. I was going to present a marathon of each Bond's last movie in advance of No Time to Die. And that's an you interesting. Picked, picked all the good ones, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> well, which, yeah, are there? Um, you know, <laughs> it's because that would give you an equally weird mosaic of experiences of watching, like, mm-hmm. you know, going, like, mm-hmm. and, you know, I guess Lazenby gets in on a technicality there. Um, first but, and last yes. <laughs> which one show that man's uncle movie he was in <laughs> there it is hey. um, but I you know I, I love opportunities to sort of curate uh, like here, here here's four Bond movies for you to watch to get a mm-hmm. taste of what the whole series is like and it's a lot more fun than just going in order yeah MGM did this with the first DVD box sets in the States that was frustrating though because if you're collecting them you just want the shits in order well the, the thing is they knew the ones that wouldn't sell very well like they knew from data the ones that weren't popular yeah. so that's how they put those together here's right. Octopussy for you hey hey I tell well, people was, to watch that when they're like what should I what should I w- watch with my kids I'm like Octopussy it's funny and, and then they give you a double take because you just told them to watch Octopussy with their kids <laughs> well, maybe that's the order right so i've got them here right so volume one was diamonds of forever goldfinger the man with the golden gun living daylights and the world is not enough mm, so random <laughs> volume two was dine of the day license to kill spy love me thunderball a view to a kill mm. three was golden eye live and let die for your eyes only from russia with love and the majesty's secret service mm, it's a bad. strong box that's, that's a strong yeah. one right I flew off the shelf <laughs> right, volume four was Doctor No, You Only Live Twice, Octopussy, Tomorrow Never Dies, and Moonraker. Mm-hmm. Well, so, I've you know, this, the studio has tried to do this yeah. in the but past. There's a difference between collection and curation. And I think that yes. that's sort of, there's a difference between saying, let's watch in this public forum these films versus I'm going to tell you what you can collect. And collectors are very um, particular about their sets. And, and uh, you know, look at Again, I love DVDs. So this whole digital era is just like eh, for me. But like, I like putting my DVDs in alphabetical order and, and <laughs> except for my Bond films, which are in chronological order. Oh, yeah. Like, I, you know what I mean? Like there's, there's particular things that I, I like, I literally have. Alphabetical order. There we go. Alphabetical yeah. order. Like I have them like <laughs> sitting here, the DVDs I just watched and they're in, they're in like chronological order. Literally I'll pick it up and put it back on the shelf the way that it is. Like, yes. it, mm. so there's a difference between, I think the two different phenomenon and I don't want a production company telling me what i should collect and in what what order yeah. don't tell me what so to that do. means we're starting with a view to a kill element as well <laughs> not just being about what was popular and what the metrics were but about saying well people really want this one but they don't really want that one so Correct. yeah 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 which i think <laughs> is you know I, I remember when that happened i was just i was kind of like can't they just yeah I mean, it's, 
Yeah, yeah I, I really like this idea about the curation of the Bond movies. I hadn't actually thought about it before, but, uh, you know, you, you, you could do it all kinds of ways because you could, you know, uh, al- alphabetical yeah, certainly is one way, but, you know, you could do it by the countries that are involved, which is mm-hmm. okay, a bit boring yeah, maybe. Or the themes. Yeah, you, you pick a theme. And in, yeah. in fact, in fact, I I did this for myself last year, because um, because of No Time to Die uh, filming in Jamaica, I thought I'm going to watch all the Bond films that are Caribbean or or, or, or that way, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, and so I I did, and so that yeah that that was that was curation of, of, of a, a sort yeah so it's just a question of getting an angle and, and curating uh, oh, around that it. yeah 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 <laughs> I, 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 yeah I, I love that idea we could do all the ones that have lots of water sequences so mm. the, yeah. the, the diving bond films the skiing bond yeah. films Shirley oh, the, the snow but no skiing bond films <laughs> <laughs> the Americana yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there are there are definitely kind of through connections that you can you can make, you know, hair pieces or no hair pieces. Or... <laughs> <clears throat> the Bollinger Collection. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, that's like most of them. Which how how did it taste, Calvin? I saw your Instagram post about taste tasting the Bollinger. Oh, very nice. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean. Uh... I'm not an expert, but uh, yes, it tasted classy enough, I guess. <laughs> I didn't want to put any chambord in it, so that's probably a good hey. sign. Did it taste like balls? Balls? balls. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, right, yes. We were trying for sponsorship there, Ben. <laughs> Come on. Hey, I'm working on it. Maybe we'll get them lined up for the for the series two. <laughs> uh, um, is there any film in particular that you guys would like? Oh, I want to do that one again, or let's not bother. Oh, hmm. I want to do that but, one again. You, ben, it's but for your eyes only because you were on. Yeah. You're off. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, I, I, one I'd like to do again is from Russia with Love because I didn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> and, well, yeah. and, and also um the, the living daylights uh, i i really like both of those films and uh I, I didn't do them so yeah well they were available to to listen to on on uh, <laughs> podcast. Uh, wherever you get your good podcast oh yeah can you email me that uh, link uh, one <laughs> i'd like to do is uh, dr no cuz i wasn't invited for that one Oh, you didn't do Doctor No? I didn't remember that. Well, we yeah. kind of just like off a, off the cuff did it mm. on a Friday no, I, and understood. it became a thing, I, didn't it? Understood. <laughs> I'm just saying I wasn't, you know, didn't know about it till after it was up. Mm. It's, rem- a, it's, a, it's a weird thing. I don't think, you, you know, quite a lot of this was kind of... Uh, planned? Not planned. <laughs> no, it's just like the continuity in the Craig era. Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, exactly. This we've kind of done exactly that, James. We've tried to try to kind of retroactively make this sound like this was all planned long ago, and uh, but actually, this kind of just like it was at the end of the the Doctor No podcast that you kind of went, should we do another one next week? 
you know, like, should we do Die Another Day? And it wasn't actually particularly well thought out. Um, Story of my life. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was me and Lisa peer pressuring James into letting us do Moonraker uh, so, the next time. Which is when you ask me, like, which one I want to do again. Like, I want to do the ones that Calvin gets really excited about. To be honest, I, I'm surprised at how popular these have been. I, I, I would never have predicted it. Mm. Yeah, but, no, but, if we'd have known, we'd have done them far sooner, wouldn't we? Uh, yeah. <laughs> it only took a pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> I would uh, love to do Moonraker again, actually. Yeah. Or, maybe, or maybe Dino the Day or Doctor No. I don't know because those were so early days, and now I just feel like I, I haven't remember. seen them in a while. Uh, yeah. so we, we, just, we just need to continue just watching them. It doesn't, it doesn't matter which one. <laughs> just continue watching them, and yeah. it, it, at random, and they'll they'll self curate into some kind of uh, thematic mm. pack. <laughs> Spectre's the only one that I kind of came away from, and I don't know if it's because, maybe it's because we were a smaller group doing that one and doing it over two two weeks as well, that I I didn't feel like it was as fun an experience as the other ones were, and (laughs) I I don't know if that does just come from the fact that you know, we split it up, so it was sort of double the double the the punishment, or uh, or if you know the fact that none of us really were very excited about the film. I think that is probably the only film that we've covered where none of us are particularly positive about it, very remotely. Like, I, I I missed I missed the first session, right? And then it was kind of like you know I could have I could have come back for the second half, and I was kind of like. Well, you know, I, that's going to sound weird now with me coming in on the second half of the recording. <laughs> Shall I just have another week off? <laughs> it, it, it's one of those ones that I just genuinely didn't regret not doing the, the commentary to. Anything else, I would have probably been a bit a bit sore about. But that, mm. I mean, I just, I mean, despite my glowing review in in MI six uh, confidential. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Um, which I'm sure you've talked about, um, but I, yeah, I, I, I don't regret not not watching it again at all. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I, I always say I, I do enjoy Spectre, but I recognise it's very problematic. So it, it's kind of it, it, it's difficult to get enthusiastic about it in a way uh, because. Uh, because I, because I, I, I see the problems that because they're they're, just, they're glaring and God knows why I, I I I do enjoy it so much, but you know it's just <laughs> one of those odd things about about uh, this kind of stuff. The, one so the of the oddities of being a Bond fan. Yes, the question I'm getting asked a lot is: Are we going to do Never Say Never again? Yes, let's do it. Yeah, we we should do. <laughs> I and Casino Royale, please. And both both of the other Casino Royales. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> That's my favorite moment. <laughs> I've never Sorry, seen then. any of them, so I mean, that's why I'm just like, oh, oh, wow. oh, 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 to watch them before we do the watch along because otherwise yeah. without, the, without the sound you're not going to know what the hell is going on with Casino Rail 67 so this this is a this is a, a curated uh, pack of Bond films 
kind of. That's the, the, the box set that nobody the wants. <laughs> you you should do never say never again, honestly, because there are there are a number well, of Bond fans who like swear it's better than many Eon films. Well, so yes. just well, just for yeah. that, just for that. Uh, I, I'll also say the 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 TV production of Casino Royale is worth watching. Uh, yes, it, it, it's just I I remember that when I used to be involved with the the MI6 forums and uh, you know people used to bitch about it but they were bitching about it without having seen it and um yes. you, you you need you need to watch it very few bond fans fans actually have seen it i think uh, and it it and it, it it is very interesting it's uh it it's very much of its time and its place but uh yeah it's it's short Bond fans will say, Jimmy, how can you call himself Jimmy? Well, if you like, listen carefully, yeah. if, you act, if you actually take the time to watch it. Okay, Lashif calls him Jimmy. Uh, Leiter calls him Jimmy. Valerie, who is like a mix of, <laughs> a mix of uh, Vesper and, uh, oh, um, oh, the French character. Mathis. Mathis, Mathis mm. you know, she calls him Jimmy, but Bond never, ever once calls himself Jimmy. The one time he call, he refers to his own first name, he picks up the phone and says, this is James Bond. Yeah. And on the end titles, it says Barry Nelson as James Bond. Mm. But like, and, and, but, and actually, Bond, Bond is called uh, Jim in the books. Right. And the, the most technically once. impressive aspect of it is at the start of Act 2, because again, they're doing this live, these heavy, heavy cameras. And so like somebody is having to sh push this heavy camera while all these people are, you know, pretending they're in a casino. And it's like, when you realize just how hard it was to do this, it's a very impressive from a technical aspect scene. So, but of course, all these people complain have yeah. never, ever um, bothered to watch it. I, I can't remember if it was Mark or AJ or somebody else that once said to me, it's like, you've got to put it in the perspective of you're watching a theatre production. Yeah. yeah. yeah not absolutely. a TV or a film. Yeah. yeah. And in that, in that respect, it's very impressive. And also, there's two versions out there, one of which is like 90 seconds shorter than the other. Mm -hmm. and, and so, like, some would say, oh, yeah, like, Le Chiffre is dead and gets up. No, he's not. Not if you see the whole full s version of it. Like, you know, but like, and the, 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 yeah, the, the, the curious thing about that is that um, a few years ago, it's, 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 it's probably five years ago, three, well, maybe it's three or four years ago on Spanish television, the, um, the, May, the, the, the main telephone company and internet provider in Spain, you know, also, uh, is also the main TV um, provider. And they had a 007 uh, channel for, I think it was about a month or a couple of months, something like that. And they they had like twenty, they had twenty something films, but it wasn't all of them. And it was curious because they had they didn't have Thunderball. I remember that, but they they had um, they had the Casino Royale TV show, and they had Never Say Never Again. Apart from that, I I can't remember which other ones were, were, were missing apart from Thunderball, and. Uh, I, I had seen the, the TV show before, but I decided to watch it again. And it's all the official MGM one, so it's got the lion at the beginning and all that stuff. But crucially, it doesn't have the end. Right. 
Right. We have and a full it, story about how that happened, mm. uh, which we'll reveal on the thing. Mm. But I'll just say, due to a US district, district court judge, we can't say we've done a watch along of all the James Bond films without doing Never Seen Never in Casino Royale. Well, mm. it, it, yeah, that's true. <laughs> we'll get sued. <laughs> <laughs> well, and also one more thing about that 54 thing. One of the writers who adapted it was named Charles Bennett, who was born in 1899. And he oh, wow. co-wrote the original... Um, man who knew too much that was in 1934 so like yes yeah, so there's a hitchcock connection to that but of course again all the bond fans who complain without having seen it they don't know because they've never watched it so all right so i think we've decided that to be authentic and genuine and to comply with u.s law uh, <laughs> Also, um, remember, I nominated it once and got 10% of the vote. I knew it wouldn't win. <laughs> no, but, no, we've got uh, a rabid audience waiting for it. So, yeah, <laughs> there you go. But, you know, maybe like collectors, like people are so far into the series now that they've got to listen to it. Um, mm-hmm. All right. Any final thoughts? Uh, my final thoughts will just be this. Um, when we started this kind of craziness, um, I wasn't even sure that we would get through all of, all of these movies together. Um, I will just say that it has been an absolute blast. I've I've formed some great friendships out of this. Um, I've had some really wonderful experiences recording this all with you, some great laughs. Um, so thank you all for being my watch along buddies. Um, oh. it's been it's been wonderful. Hmm. What he said. I yeah, yeah, likewise. These are the ones I haven't been on. I've enjoyed all of them. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I've enjoyed I've enjoyed doing them. I, I wasn't sure that we'd get through them all. Uh, it I, I, and I remember a conversation early on, and uh, we we were just testing the waters to see what was going to happen. And uh, yeah, somehow it just happened. All of them. Yeah, I'd yeah. like to do a big shout out to the thing that's helped me the most editing these, and that's Canadian Club. Okay. So. Yeah. In fact, in fact, we ought to give a round of applause to James for editing these because uh, mm-hmm. it's been a bastard. We we have no doubt about that. <laughs> well, 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 it's the it's the technical gluing together mm. when we've had so many issues. Um, mm. And publicly, I'd like to write Mr. Paul Atkinson into series two because because the time zones between us all being in Europe, the North America, and um, him being in Oceania. Um, We'll be closer together through the winter, mm. so maybe yeah. have be able to have a new voice um, do some bad nice intros. Because uh, yeah. I'm I'm running out of material. So. <laughs> <laughs> Can I throw one more uh, shout out to all of the people who've listened to us <laughs> over these many many months? Um, we keep doing it because you keep listening, and. That's right. You know, you are giving us so much feedback and you're giving us a lot of inspiration. And so we really appreciate you listening and taking the time to to share in, in our passions. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've, I've got to say, I've, I've met some, through, through doing this, not just, just the conversations with you guys, but um, I've made some Twitter friends out of this as well. So, um, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a, overall a very rewarding experience. 
Yep, likewise, I can only echo all those sentiments and, uh, yeah, particularly on a personal level, like, throughout this whole lockdown thing, and then I was living alone for about a month during the lockdown, and it was just a real highlight of my week to mm -hmm. have this on a Friday and to just chat and have a laugh and have a couple of drinks at the end of the week uh, was really lovely. So I, you know, it's prov certainly provided a distraction for me from all of the misery of 2020, so I hope that, listening to this, I hope that it's, uh, yeah, helped you as well uh, in some small way i also have a partner who hates james bond so uh <laughs> this has been the only way that i've been able to watch bond movies <laughs> <laughs> so i appreciate that all right well thank you very much everybody and um we will uh spin the uh the roulette wheel of fate on the vote next Ooh. week to see whether it's gonna be uh a Casino Royale or a Never Say Never Yeah, because what we need right now is like a contentious election, right? Yeah. Because you know, uh, <laughs> we don't have enough excitement in our lives. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> all right. See you all again next week. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.